This episode is brought to you by the generous patrons who supported us over at patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we want to give a big thank you to our patrons, Kate, Prostaskias, Leroy, Josh, Tiana, Falangor, Spike, Chris, Konohamaru, Buyag, Starry, Red Dead Coquette, Logan, Punch and Potato, Jen Solo, and Rajar. Thank you again for helping us to put a little more inspiration out into the world. And now, on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another masterful episode of Inspiration Point. I'm Andrew. And I'm Adam. And we are once again joined by Mr. Robert Hans and Tiana Hansen. Welcome back to the show, you guys. Hey, everyone. So I have some good news and some bad news. The bad news is this week there are not going to be any intro shenanigans like there normally are. Uh, We had some audio hiccups and some issues not the least of which was a bunch of audio lag on my part, and it kind of screwed up the intro that we had. So, sorry, no intro shenanigans this week. But on the plus side, we are going to be jumping straight into the main uh, topic of the episode very quickly this week. So, sit back relax and hang out with us for the important part of the episode thanks okay hi everybody we are back um just to let everybody know we had a little recording hiccup and some of the audio was not getting recorded so we were we were like an hour in and we realized uh uh-oh something hadn't been recording. So basically what we're going to be doing is going uh, into the book and taking a look at the different uh, parts of fate that have to do with GMing and running fate um, and getting into the different aspects, no pun intended, of that. Um, (laughs) So without any further ado, uh, Rob, teach us dude all right well as andrew said there you know we've gone over kind of a lot of the player stuff now so um i think the goal is like really to talk about you know how how you prep what you do how you run the game and kind of you know maybe some of the things that i have i have managed to beat into my concrete block of a head when figuring this game out (laughs) and and share that with y'all a little bit yes indeed i think so I think, uh, Adam, you kind of wanted to go over some some of the areas there. Uh, that's right. And, uh, you know, me and Andrew always have this problem where we we approach the uh, podcast in a very undisciplined way and we we kind of just go off. So the the first thing I want to ask you, well, the, the first topic is I'm yeah. just going down the table of contents here. We're in the section running the game. We want to run a game now for our right. friends. And the first thing it suggests is what you do. And so what is it that we do as GM, as as it, it is different 
than what we would be doing in, let's say, a D&D game. If there's anything. Just for running the game in general? It says, yeah, what, what are you as the GM doing? So I think one of, you know, we, we go, and a lot of this stuff is, is pretty similar. I'm just scanning through that section right now. Is, is very much like it is. You can play Fate in a much more kind of very collaborative, past the stick kind of mode where, you know, you're asking, oh, what do you find in the box? Um, most of the examples in the book don't quite go that far. I don't go there. Most people I've played with haven't gone that far. So most of what you do is kind of the same thing. I think the big difference is, in, in my view, in, in as a Fate GM, fundamentally, your job is to throw problems in front of the players. It is your yeah. player's job to solve them. Um, and I think that is a little different than like how D&D is frequently, though not necessarily played. You know, in our uh, in our failed recording attempt, we kind of talked about uh, Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Guide. And a lot of what yeah. I do with Fate matches that very, very, very closely. Um, and I did the same thing with GURPS and everything else. But what I mean by that is like in a lot of G- a lot of DM prep for D&D, you sit there and say, okay, I've got this scene, then this scene, then this scene. And what you're kind of doing in a lot of cases is you're presenting the problem and the solution because the solution to problem A leads you to problem B and you need to maintain that continuity. Whereas with fate, what you kind of want to do is, is really present those problems and maybe they don't get solved. And they're, they're maybe they're more like decision points than, than things to beat um, and kind of go with that and take and, and guide the players and help assist the players in figuring out their path through the world or story or whatever you want to call it versus this is the story. This is the path. So you're uh, not very necessary. high level and abstract, but to me, that's one of the main <laughs> differences. So, okay. So you're not, you're not actually planning a story. The story is whatever comes out of the situation. You basically have, um, you have, you know, some world problems that you set in place from the get go. And that's part of kind of the session zero process where everybody's sitting around and, you know, we discuss what are, what are the one or two, ongoing conflicts in you know in in the world in the setting in the city whatever um and then the the story becomes the story comes out of the players overcoming problems that you as the gm are throwing in front of the players relating to those you know those major conflicts that have been established yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, you know, the NPCs and you know, their agendas, you know, how they relate with each other and you know, the world and you know, the problem and the players are like, okay, well, I'm going to try and solve it this way. And you're like, okay, cool. Does that work? And then it does or it doesn't. And then that advances the situation. And, and, and in that way, to me, that's where like people talk about collaborative storytelling. Fate is a collaborative storytelling way. And that's how I use the term versus the, you know, kind of taking turns telling what the story is. But yeah, that's that's exactly how I view it. It's it's my job to kind of here's the obstacles in your way. I'm going to facilitate figuring out how we, you know, it held adjudicate your attempts to overcome them and then we're just going to keep following that path and it's it's my obstacles and my world, not mine because it's overall 
combining it and your decisions create the quote unquote, the story. Mm. So I think that that takes us to uh, what to do during game creation. We've already kind of hit that a little bit. And one thing that we talked about when we were recording earlier was about having characters, having their motivations mm-hmm. um, and then ha- which have to be mutually exclusive, which I thought was interesting. And then there have to be environments and characters that represent those environments. So what I'm kind of seeing here is at least your approach and what I think the book is trying to get me to approach is to basically set the stage and then introduce the players to it and then just do cause and effect. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I call it like the billiard ball model. And I think what you're talking about, the mutually exclusive is one of the things I like to do with when with during my game creation, not the collaborative part about it, but like usually the kind of the session point five where I'm between session zero and one is start building out more NPCs in the world and their their and their relations with each other. But then I like to give them agendas. Okay, I'm trying to achieve X and I'm gonna do it by A, B, C, D, and E in order. And and you know, that's their beautiful plan. And then I will make them conflict with other agendas, right? So NPC B has a second set of his agendas that don't work with that. So one of them's got to give, right? So I'm building conflict into it. It's, it's kind of a ninja psychological GM trick that by creating things that I know I can't have all of them, it kind of makes me not attached to any of them. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's that's the kind of thing you're talking about. And yeah, absolutely. In fact, while you were talking, it, it, told me some things about what to do in my specific story. And I started crafting (laughs) in my brain. Adam, Adam, do you have, um, I mean, I, I know that some of your players are listening to this, so I know you can't get into too many specifics, but, um, can, can you give us, can you give us some ideas of like what that made you think of? So uh, the the story I'm thinking about is, uh, well, of course, it takes place in the cyberpunk universe, Night City. And then I'm borrowing heavily, actually, from Death Note um, mm. in that there is a BD performer assassin who is on the black market. And what he does is he kills high profile uh, evil or at least hard to empathize with targets Hmm. in the name of justice and people watch that and they enjoy it. But what they're doing is, is contrary to what our, our normal notions of justice are. So while they're beloved by the people or at least some of the people, our party is charged with hunting this person down. So, so they're like kind of a, a vigilante boondock saints killer kind of, kind of person. Yeah, hey, we yes. got a serial crusher. Yeah. yeah. Huge yeah. freaking guy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, and it, it, what we're going to need to learn is that the the performer doesn't even really care about justice as much as their own ego and their own sense of artistic expression through murder. Um that's really interesting. Dexter. Like you can really uh you can already imagine like um, what, you know, what their agenda might be and, and how they like, it gives you a very clear personality that you can, um, 
I I could easily see how you could start fleshing this person out. That's really cool. And what what started sparking for me while while uh, while you were talking was characters that interpret this existence of of Kira, for lack of a better name, so far because I still don't know what this person's called. Um, is that like they have different feelings about it? So I was thinking, I got I got to have one character who believes in this cause so much that when they realize that this person's being investigated and hunted, they actually point to themselves. Oh, to to like save them or something to be, yeah. To become a distraction and a sacrificial lamb because like the, the uh, fandom regarding this person is like pseudo religious. And so, yeah. And that was just one character whose motivation is to, Yeah distract Hmm. at his own peril and what's interesting about that too is that with you know with how with how fate works you know you could easily see how the pcs depending on how the how they decide to go about doing things you know you're you're basically putting this person out into the world but you're not saying like oh this guy is gonna be defeated at some point or or he isn't or whatever he's just this individual doing this thing and then we'll see what what the pcs decide to do with that and what's interesting to me so i like i hear this do do you kind of want my input on this yeah i do i do very much okay yeah so i i hear this and i i hear a lot of cool things and there's a couple places my mind goes the first is one of the things I like to do is I kind of stole this off of, I don't remember if it was one of the PBTA games, it was Dungeon World or Apocalypse World, is the idea of fronts. And, you know, the fronts are kind of like these things, and I also picked it from some of the 20 Palaces novels, um, and just reading it, is like, how it is, how do we see the situation getting worse? And the example I gave before, you know, the great uh, debiddening um, that we had, was you know I, I I talk to people on a board about like this idea of oh they're you know you're being you're you're spreading this heresy but what does that look like as as we have steps it starts out with just like oh they're unknown that's kind of step zero then oh there's some mumblings about it okay now some there's some of the priests are denouncing it now there's um or there's more I mean, I'd probably start with more you know mumblings about it oh now some of the priests are denouncing it now there's some demonstrations against it now you know the police are starting to knock on doors and look for people then it gets into you know uh searches or death squads coming out for them etc so that like as we're seeing this kind of ramp up we can kind of see the world become more tense as a result and I think there could be a lot of really cool things especially with the followers as this becomes more of a thing you know, it goes from like, oh, a couple people see him on the on the in the in the, the the dark net all the way up to like, you know, broadcasts and, and copycats and everything else. And yeah. I think there's a lot Ooh, of really copycat. cool. There oh, you go. <laughs> I, I heard <laughs> that. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a thing. There's another character or two, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of really cool things you could do with like. You know, when this guy's at his maximum influence and the maximum, you know, chaos he's creating, what does the world look like? And how does it get from and like really twist those screws and ramp it up so it's a big, you know, thing? And then, you know, what are the steps in between? And that's, a, I think, a, that's one of the places I'd want to go with that. Um, the other Tiana, thing- y- y- you would be proud of me also because the the way that they're going to largely have to investigate this guy is through net running. 
Mm. And uh, in the net running is going to be the persona aspect of this game. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> so there. Well, no, and 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 like, like I'm listening to this and thinking about like the influence things and being like, this reminds me of the way that the Phantom Thieves yes. um, are perceived in Tokyo, where it's like first there's like nothing and then mumblings and then save us, Phantom Thieves, you're our only hope. Yeah, yeah, and to Phantom Thieves, we denounce you and you're stupid, and then all the way back around, and then back again. We need the Phantom Thieves. Um. God, what, I love it. What an amazing story, honestly. The uh. other, the <laughs> other thing I'm thinking of is kind of like what's the what's the story stakes here, and is this like more of a kind of a background, long term plot where the this guy's going to be doing his thing for a while, and there's stories within the context of trying to catch yes. him, which which is much more like Death Note, where like his not really the primary stake, catching him isn't really the primary stake. There's other stories within that larger story. Mm-hmm. There's a bigger question that we ask the players, which is what is justice? Well, well right, but he's a context then for asking this question. So now this is like your season or your multiple seasons things where you're dealing with this guy, which means he's not going to be caught for like ever. Okay. He's, there's going to be additional complications coming up, for maybe, sure. maybe saving individual people, but then like, okay, cool. So what are the story stakes going to be? Um, one of the things that, you know, people, and I talk about story questions to people a lot of times and they're like, Oh, you know, it's a murder. So who killed Bob is the story question. No, that's a mystery. That's not the same thing. The story question is, Mm. can we find Bob's murderer before he kills again? Ah. Mm. Right. So can we investigate? So we have to investigate this guy isn't a story question. Um, That's and it's the long term. A story question like to begin might be, hey, we've heard that his next target is this dude. Can we you know, stop him before he, can we prevent him from getting killed or something along those lines? That that's kind of the interesting story to. question. Or do we want to? And what? Right. Because that's, that's the other question. Right. Like, uh, what what is the nature of justice? Is is this justice because you know there the, the the victims are people that can't be touched by normal means? So is this actually justice? Do you have players who sympathize with them that might want to join them? Yes, exactly. Where I want it to be um, complex for yeah. them as well, which takes us to the net running thing. Because if we are going to say what he's doing is wrong, then I feel like we need a less than just straightforward, violent approach to solving some of these problems, mm-hmm. to to finding the merciful solution. Well, and, um, and that that approach is entirely up to the players to create, right? Yeah. yeah, it is, you know, because they can absolutely go, well, we're just going to murder in order to catch the murder. <laughs> you know, like, so, so in a lot of ways, this sounds to me like how here's would take here's that what I would do with this idea. Uh-huh. I would essentially structure this as a monster of the week. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's that's excellent because there's some barrier person in the way from the fanatic that tries to stop you in the street to the net runner who tries to stop you that way to, uh, you know, the killer sets a cyber psycho on you. Um, I actually would do it a different way. I would have those things all happen, but what my monster of the week would do, and I'm not saying you should this, this is what I would do. This is where mine's going with it. I'd go with the victim of the week. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Very important. Like we were having a discussion 
earlier before we started recording it all about Elon Musk. Right. Right. And, and, and I was, you know, not to get super political, but you know, a lot of people think differently about him as a character, right? A lot of them are like Elon, good, Elon, bad, Elon, hero, Elon, you know, the worst evil imaginable. And so like, how do we deal? Right. And so taking a character like him and I, I see him as a very complex person. Yeah. You know, but I could also see him being a target of something like this, where pe- where you take someone so rich and so powerful and untouchable in many ways, who has mm-hmm. their hands in so many things, and you can put on a VR helmet and experience murdering him, right? Like, that oh. is something that I think a lot of people could relate to. Or, yeah. you know, Elon's a little bit less than, let's say, you know, uh, Donald Trump, right? Which yeah. I think mm. people would might actually be hard pressed depending on their side of the, of the aisle to be like, well, it maybe that would be one case in which we need to suspend constitutional rights and defend democracy, you know, or does that make us worse? Right. So I think that that's exactly the right way to approach it. Victim of the week. And, and none of them should be Clean. too cut and dry. Right. Yeah. So, and, and I think that gives you a lot of cool things instead of just obstacle of the week, which is kind of like and that's a very linear path, right? It like gives you a lot of real ways to explore, you know, like what are the people doing? How is he going to kill them? Mm. Right? How is what? How is what is the victim doing in response? Is the victim cooperating? You know, uh, with you or not? You know, and it, it's it offers a lot of cool stuff. That that's what I that's that's where I'd go with it. I mean, no, hell, let, no, I let think alone right. how did how did the players even find out, you know, how this is going to happen in the first place? Oh, that's easy. You know, I mean, you can yeah. come up with 18 different ways from the the killer dropping notes himself because he's playing yeah. with people to his, you know, notes into his his cult like followers to, you know, informants to. Uh, there's there's a biz- I mean that could be part of it like he always gives a clue but the clue isn't clear like you know Q- so that's part Q-Anon of it QAnon drops QAnon yeah yeah I mean you you could do this eight that that's that's not a problem it's an interesting space to explore because there's so many cool things that all have implications but that's not hard to solve and Tiana I want to know what you would do with this yes. what would you add and what would you edit as a as as another GM, like if you're giving advice to me, literally as a you know GM to GM, you know, if I were a player in this game who likes a lot of the things you just mentioned, mm-hmm. what are you know? I want to hear your perspective. Make it personal. Mm-hmm. The reason why uh, Kanashiro is the worst of all of the palace uh, rulers in the game is because of what he does to Shiho and what he does to Ryuji and what he does to On and all of these people that you care about in the game. He is so, the worst. <laughs> he's the he worst. He is, like, he's the <laughs> he's first, so but bad. he's also the absolute worst. Like, he's the one where I, where I was like, I would have fully supported On if she had just killed him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, making it personal. Oh. Yeah. Make it, making it so that there's a personal stake why for for that for them to get involved and i mean i i know that that rob we talked about this before mm-hmm. rob hates the term uh story hook but that is kind of the 
maybe not a story hook, but a buy-in hook. Yeah. Of, you know, this is why you as the players care. Like, sure, there's the abstract, you know, what is justice? What is this, that, and the other? But what is justice when you mix it with emotion? Right. What mm-hmm. is justice when you miss it, when you mix it with people? Because that gets so much more complex. I think that's a really good point because one of the things that we talked about here and that I strongly believe with fate, and one of the things is, you know, to me, I, I think a lot of your GM prep is done between session zero and session one when you've got the players and you've got their aspects, if you're going through something that gives you the aspects, where you can incorporate that yep. into the game and and blend that in. Like, okay, we were trying to protect Elizabeth in our little game. And that made it more interesting mm-hmm. because y'all cared about Elizabeth at some level. Mm. Um, exactly and you know that's one of my arguments in favor of an improv heavy game is when you do an improv heavy game you're almost by definition doing things the players are invested in and something the players are invested in done poorly is nine times out of ten something better than something they don't care about done well Hmm. Mm -hmm. so always take whatever you know whatever is a is and and aspects are great flags for that that's a way it's your player's way of saying i think this is cool and as a gm you should grab that and you know i always look for hey where my players start paying attention which npcs do they care about okay cool those are now important so i think that's a fantastic a fantastic suggestion tiana and i i did have the players give me some connections and npcs they were already connected with uh, hmm. during character creation. So now I know who some of my victims are. <laughs> there you go. And that, and that really is a powerful tool. I mean, yeah. one of the things that um, one of the GMs that I play with says frequently is if it's on your character sheet, I can use it. Yeah. When I follow, I follow that through to, you know, whatever, whatever you give me for backstory, whatever you give me for NPCs, whatever you give me about things or people or events that you care about, that's all fair They're game. They're on the menu. <laughs> Basically. Well, and so it's kind of cool that way. I just want to interject that because with aspects, you know, and then being on the menu is a very good way of framing it to compel, mm-hmm. right? Like that would be a great way to start this. I'm, you're compelling. You get a note that, you know, your, your ex-girlfriend, Sue, that you're still pining for because that's an aspect is, you know, uh, his next target. Okay, now you're invested. That'd be a great compel. And and that's a cool thing that you do in Fate because really when you make something aspect, it's not just part of your backs around your sheet. You're saying, use this. You're saying, I mm-hmm. want this to be a story element. I know um, in the uh, in the D and D community, there there's this thing that I that I got kind of familiar with um, called knife theory, where basically it's this idea that when you create your character backstory, um, you give, mm, yeah. you create what are called knives that are things about your character that you are deliberately creating and then handing this essentially like a, a knife with a little label on it to your GM saying, use this on my character. And that's, yeah. that's essentially what that sounds like to me. Like you're, you know, your character aspects are those things that yeah. you're telling your GM. All right. You know, this is the thing I want you to hit me with or some part of it. Yeah. So I think we've done a really fantastic job of going over um, 
what to do during game creation and creating our opposition. Uh, I want to make sure that we're answering questions like what to do during play sure. and playing that opposition. Mm-hmm. And so like, as far as what I'm doing behind that screen, is there anything that needs to be added, Rob? Um, like during play? Yes. So the first thing I would say is don't have a screen. Um, I think fate, Ooh. especially is a game that works better when the dice are on the table. Um, okay. One of the, one of the awesome things about fate is that because you get to decide what failure and success look like, the only thing the dice are doing is saying, hey, which of these options that you've already decided is okay is the one that happens. So you don't really need to fudge, mm. right? Like that that fudging is usually to prevent the dice from saying, oh, you're dead. Well, the dice can never say, oh, you're dead. You have to say, if the dice come up bad, you're, you're dead. So if you don't want someone to be dead because of dice, you say, if the dice come up bad, you're knocked out. Easy enough, peasy. So um, as far as that, you know, like if you want to get into like running a scene and you're, you're, you're going to sit down, you're going to set up a scene. Um, the first thing I do is, is you try to make an interesting environment. You try to make an interesting uh, setting for the scene with some things that can kind of happen or be used or interacted with like the lights. I like to think in terms of, hey, what compels can happen here? That's often uh, a useful question. You know, what are the things like the geysers that can pop up like guardians of the galaxy and kind of throw a wrench in everything. Mm. Um, those are interesting questions. And then like, as you're running the scene, you want to kind of think about, okay, what's the story question, set the story stakes. And every time you run a scene and then make sure that the stakes are such that the players kind of have to buy their way out of it a little bit, which is usually harder than most people think. Like for most conflicts, I kind of think you start with a, a mirror match as your baseline opposition for a, a meaningful, consequential scene, as opposed to like, hey, we're just going to beat up a bunch of mooks because it's fun. Yeah, I agreed. I don't think that mechanically the game is really geared for let's zap and pow because that's fun. Um, and it has yeah. to be about more than that. Um, so, okay, so... The, the next section overall is called scenes, sessions, and scenarios. And, and from my reading over it just briefly, it seems to be about how we kind of break down a campaign and how we break down different types of milestones a little bit. Um, you know, is, is, this is, seems to be uh, creating character um, categories in, uh, in encounters, let's say. So uh, I wanted to get your thoughts. Can we actually stop, go back? I want to go back to what to do during play for a second because there's a couple other things. Um, It does talk about the golden rule here and decide what you're trying to accomplish, then consult the rules. And I also phrase that as fiction first. And to me, what that means is when we talk about what you're trying to accomplish, it means like have a really strong idea of what's happening. Be able to picture the action in your head and understand what's going on. That's that's what drives fate. And then you figure out how to apply the the rules. Um, and when to roll dice and making failure awesome and things like that. Um, one of the things that I have done is I don't really think of roles so much as success and failure anymore. Uh, we in, in, you know, in, in fate, you have uh, success, you have failure, success at a cost, you have these different options. I like to think in terms of doing, going well and going poorly. Um, it's a very subtle thing. So like, and that kind of gets out of two traps. It gets out of, first off, it frames like 
success at a cost or partial success or failure as inherently f- possible failure conditions. It's not an exception. It's all part of it doesn't go well. What does doesn't go well mean? Um, but it also means that success, things that are unlikely, we don't just say you can have. It's like, okay, what does it actually mean if that goes well? Um, if that makes any sense. Like one time I was playing a game where I was on a ship trying to convince the crew to mutiny against their captain. <laughs> Well, they're not going to mutiny just because I say one thing over the speaker. That's dumb. What is going well? So success, I can't succeed. It can go well for me, which would be planting the seeds, maybe making them a little bit kind of like hesitant mm. in some cases that I could take advantage of later. Um, that would be going well. And similarly goes poorly, like, okay, in this same game, we tried to get on our ship and we failed the role. So, but we still got on the ship with planning a tracking device, very new hope, right? Well, that went poorly for us. We didn't fail. We got on the ship, but it went uh, poorly. So that's one thing that I've really kind of picked up is kind of a little judo trick to really kind of clarify stakes and really open my mind to possibilities of what we're actually rolling for. That's very interesting. It's, again, not super highly mechanical, but I found it a super useful tip. And now we can continue. I have. Uh, thank you for letting me have that uh, diversion there. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, this is this is all uh, very useful stuff. Um, so, again, set scenes, sessions, and scenarios. What's yeah? What, what are the? How are these defined in Fate? So, a let me see what what were they talking about in a scenario? Yeah, big open ended problem. Um, so I kind of think of it as a TV show. Okay. Right. You've got, I think of it in terms like seasons, maybe episodes or arcs, and then individual scenes typically along the way. Um, you're seeing your, your, so you have a scenario, which is a big problem that you want to get solved. Um, and again, we want to most, mostly keep it open ended. We don't want it to be too obvious. Um, and usually I try to arrange that around a story, pro- a story question. I'm a big fan of story questions. I kind of view campaign structure as fractal story questions. You know, each story question has other sub questions, has other sub questions, has other sub questions until we get to the turtles at the bottom. Um, <laughs> so I think that's really the biggest thing. And a story question to me is, is almost always the format of, you know, when something happens or, you know, the heroes want X disaster Y is about, do they get it or does disaster Y happen? Uh, and that can be anything from like very physical danger things to, you know, uh, Bill wants to ask his boyfriend out. Does he succeed or does, does you know, uh, the, the, fa- the wicked father prevent it? You know, it, it, it could be all sorts of things. It can be as personal or dramatic and cosmic as you want it to be. It doesn't matter. Um, I guess I'm having a hard time. Do you have any more specific questions about this? Maybe looking at the document? Uh, yeah, because, you know, it seems to me like a session, that's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one time that we play, right? Right. And that's when also we refresh our, our fate and all that stuff if we are under our refresh. Right. And the, I guess, what am I, what is the difference between a scenario and a scene? Is the scenario like more of the chapter? Like, I understand what a scene is. I guess, what is a scenario? A scenario is bigger than a session, typically. Okay. 
So that okay. we're, we're basically kind of talking about an arc in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to think okay. of an arc on a TV show versus an individual session is like an episode. Now you could have a, a scenario that is one episode long that's, or one session long. That's cool. But it's, it's kind of, that's your, your fractal, if you will, is the top is you're going to have your scenario, you know, which then you could have another layer above that, which is your campaign or your season, Beneath that, you've got your session, and then your session is made up of scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I like that kind of structure because it get, it does give me something to build beforehand. Yeah. Even if everything is just a couple of notes, you know, I think, you know, one thing I do take away from Slay Flourish is not to, like, go too detailed on every little thing. Right. And, you know, here, here's two or three bullet points that we need to know. Well, um, it- and one of the things in the prep, and we talked about this in the in the bitbucketed version, is that <laughs> mm. I really see that I see you can prep. I think fade as much as you want. You just prep different things, right? And what I want to prep in fade is I want to prep NPCs uh, with agendas. I want to prep organizations. I want to prep interesting locations. These are the things I want to prep because then when players go off and say, "Hey, I want to go here to do this." I have an idea of of why that might be difficult, who might be interested, what the opposition might be. I have an idea of all the stuff that I can bring to play. And, you know, a lot of people kind of freak out at the idea of improvisation. They're like, I can't do that. I can't come up with that stuff on the fly. And the answer is you don't. Like a big chunk of it is the problem that you've set, which, you know, you've prepared beforehand. This is the problem for the session or the or the scenario. Okay, now they've got that. So you don't have to prep that. You don't have to prep what the players do because they're going to tell you that. You don't have to prep all of the NPCs and organizations and factions because you've prepped that. You don't have to prep what the players are going to do in the scene and what they're trying to accomplish, what they're going to you know, attempt to do and succeed at. All you've got to prep is what's making that hard. And when you pull out all that stuff in, you know, your prep is like – the improvisation is like 5% of it. So you know, I, I think that's – you know, talking about prep, I think it is useful to prep in fate. Some people think you you don't prep if you're improvising. I think you have to prep if you're going to improvise. Mm-hmm. I'm not that I, smart. I, I 100% agree with that. 100%. I ain't yeah. that smart. I don't know about y'all. I ain't that smart. Yeah, I definitely improv way better. And it is a and it is a balance because um, like what, what Sly Flourish would say is once it's over prep now then you have a different problem and now you're you're not improving well again because yeah. you're trying to stick to the plan right so yeah like when you when you have enough prep which is usually just a couple of notes you know and and maybe having a character sheet or two ready to go you know then you you can much more easily improv within that space I think it's 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 about what you prep as well as just how much. I think you can do a lot of prep if you do the right prep. Mm-hmm. And I think the mm-hmm. right prep is the situation. It's not the events, right? As soon as you start improv- prepping, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, you, you run into problems. As I mentioned, when I do NPC agendas, that's kind of like that, which is one of the reasons. But I mean, A, those are often very short, like, you know, five bullet lines on a, on a, on a piece of paper. But I also that one of the reasons that I uh, make them inherently conflict with other NPCs is so that I know that there's no way that these are actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. Certainly not all of them. At best, like two of them can. Yeah. But I know that, you know, three of them at least are going to get thrown away. And I don't know which those three are. So I'm, I don't get attached to them. Yeah, good point. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, one thing that you talked a lot about earlier that we lost yep. was this concept of story questions, which wow. I thought was very, very useful. And I, I made some notes about that. But I want you to to go over that again. What is a story question? How do you use it? Um, a story question is a concept from writing. And the basic idea of a story question, I, I did mention this a little bit ago in this version, is it's not a mystery, right? Like we talked about that. It, it's it's not who killed Bob. It's will we find the kill who killed Bob before he strikes again? So it, it creates some kind of A or B situation. It's got to be believable because that's where the tension comes in. Um, and it's it's something that the players or the characters care about and it's going to be involved on their action. Uh, so, you know, will will we catch the kill, Bob's killer before he strikes again is a great one. And we talked about that with the, uh, the cyberpunk game as well. So, and, and the nice thing about this is you can have them at the scenario level. Will, will you know, they manage to summon Satan? Uh, you can have it down at the, you know, at the campaign level, at the season level. You can have it at the session level. And you can have it down at the scene level too, right? Like, will Indy manage to get the part of the pendant before, or will the Nazis escape with it and have a clue to the location of the Holy Grail? Uh, that's a great story question because we can believe it could go either way. You know, the, the movie can continue either way. So we don't know what's going to happen. You know, you can always put uh, supporting NPCs at in risk as well, right? Like um, will they die or not die is usually not a good story question. Just because we don't like TPKs, which means that realistically we know it's not going to actually happen most of the time. It's kind of boring. And it also makes it hard to concede out. So, you know, instead of that, like you're being chased, you know, hey, um, this person is trying to chase this other person. Do they catch them? Eh, maybe that's not the best story question. Maybe why are they trying to catch them? What is it they're trying to accomplish? Okay, well, they want to get the data stick so they can get some information. Okay, now that's a good story question. That's a good set of stakes that we can use because now I can concede out and not get caught or not or lose the fight, but still give the opponent what they want, which is they got the information and things have gotten worse for me, even though I didn't get beat up personally. So that 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 kind of triggered an idea for me, which was in in my story that I'm building. Um, a lot of the times the story question is can our heroes get to the victim before the killer does, um, Mm -hmm. you know, one way or the other. And, you know, we can kind of do that over and over again, but the other question being, should they? Right. But I guess it's not so much a story question as much as it is like just a premise, but, um, but it can, it can, but I mean, that's a high level one. Like, I mean, if you look at supernatural or Buffy, the story question of the week is almost always, can they kill the monster? Right. I mean, that's, but yet you still have other interesting things happening with that because at the scene level, you can have a lot of very interesting story questions, even if the, the scenario one can get a touch formulaic at times. The other thing about story questions is really, especially in fate, um, because, you know, a lot of whether you succeeded in fate or not, it's not based on is my build good enough or did I roll the dice well enough or what did I figure out where to position myself to get the best bonuses? It's, do I want to spend fate points and consequences to stay in this and get it? Is it really, really, really worth it? And because of that, I think fate is best when you don't make a presumption as a GM of how those story questions are going to be answered on a scene by scene basis, mm. which means that by the end of the session, you as a GM, you should be as surprised as the players of where you ended up. 
I think that's mm-hmm. a really important point because I think our our natural inclination would be to answer that question. Mm-hmm. And we would cheat ourselves by doing so. In play in Powered by the Apocalypse game, especially Apocalypse World, they call it play to find out. Uh, and that's Ooh, the idea. Like that. You go in there with a question, you don't know the answer. As a GM, you don't know the answer. The players don't know the answer. You're going to play to find out the answer to the question. That's why you play scenes. That's why you play sessions. That's why you play encounters to find out what does happen. So once um, we have we have finished these scenes and these scenarios, that leads us to uh, milestones and advancement. Right. Right. And so kind of jumping to the next section, we want to the the book gives us arcs, camp campaigns and milestones. And I want to go over how we reward those things, how we define those things. And because ultimately our, our players do want to feel rewarded for for making their choices one way or the other. So, I mean. We can look at it, and in arcs, they talk about an arc is like a book. So it's kind of like bigger than a scenario. Uh, and then a campaign would be, you know, a series of books, right? Like, you know, we talked about the Dresden Files. So a single arc might be one book. The campaign mm-hmm. is the Dresden Files as a whole. Mm, yeah. um, you know, the uh, the first uh, scenario might be some smaller part of the book and some larger question within the book leading to that. Um, and those really, to me, are just kind of, uh, built upon each other, right? Like, you know, using a Dresden Files example, um, can Harry find out how the people were killed using blood magic is, is, is an interesting scenario question. Okay. Can he get information from Bianca without being murdered is probably a good scene question. Mm. Um, the book question is, of course, can he stop the 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 killer without getting, you know, murdered by either the White Council, the Chicago PD, or the killer himself? That's the book question for Stormfront. And of course, the question for the Dresden Files as a whole is basically, does he stop the apocalypse? Um, so we have all of these, and we can see that we've got this these questions are building on each other into the big thing. So really it's just kind of a a larger fractal structure. Now milestones are interesting um, because that's how advancement happens in fate. And there's really a couple different types. There's minor significant and major minor milestones basically happen at the end of a session of play or a piece of the story, if that's if you're not doing that, it's, it's when your refresh is going to happen generally. I mean, arguably, the refresh happens after the milestone is probably more accurate, right? Like the milestone ends that session, the refresh happens at the beginning of the next. Hmm. Close enough. Um, conceptually, it's basically the same. So, in a minor milestone, and fake characters do a lot less vertical progression and a lot more change in evolution. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not, I just get more powers, all my numbers get bigger. So, you know, in a mile minor zone, you can do a bunch of things. You can swap two skills, okay? Um, you can swap a stunt, you can buy a new stunt, or you can change an aspect. So you can do any of those things every single session. So after a couple sessions, you can have, if you want a character, even without any advancement, that doesn't look very much like the character you started with. 
you know, you used to be really good at fighting. Now, now you're not, you know, you used to be care about this and that and the other, and now you don't. Um, mm, so right. when, that kind when of Jamie Lannister loses his hand, right. you know, then next session we're, we're putting points elsewhere and fight drops dramatically. Right. And all, and, and probably his aspect changes as well. That's actually a better example of an extreme consequence. I think, um, it's actually a really good example of an extreme consequence. We talked about those, but yeah, his fight would is still be swapped to, to compensate and probably an aspect or two too, because, you know, now he's not like the best knight in the seven realms. He's a shadow of that. Right. So, um, there's actually a really good article about Conan through fate accelerated that, that you can find. And it shows him going through like 20 different books, kind of t- doing each book as a, as a session or scenario and showing how the character evolves using the mechanics to change while not necessarily growing massively more powerful in sh- terms of sheer numbers. That's interesting. Uh, the, so, you know, and again, also at mile at, at sessions is when your, your, your moderate consequences go away if they've been recovered. Hmm. So that's another important thing. Significant, ma- significant milestones happen at the end of the scenario or a big plot event. Um, or, you know, you want to shoot for every couple sessions. So what you can do is you can take a skill and you can increase one skill up to an, up to one point uh, with some restrictions based on skill columns, which is a thing that's just kind of nitty gritty mathy garbage that we can deal with later, but probably is fairly clear to be honest with you. Um, and you can also start recovering a severe consequence. Ooh. You can rename them to begin that recovery process. And then major milestones basically are the, you know, the book level success. We have, we have finished the book um, and they really do get you more powerful. You can, Rename your extreme consequence if you've taken one. You get an additional point of refresh. You can advance a skill past the current skill camp. So one of the l- restrictions in advancing skills at the at the significant milestone is you can't go over the cap. However, on a major one, you can, which increases your cap. And that's also where you want to be. Go ahead and 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 update your high concept if that makes sense. So the the cap until that happens is four by default. Yes. And really in most cases, it's best to leave it there. Um, You know, really, if you want to say my character is more powerful or the characters are more powerful, you don't generally want to do that in fate by tweaking the numbers. It just kind of, you know, it can have more add on effects than people are aware of. You just say plus four means something different. Hmm. So if it's a kids on bike game on bikes games, then a plus four fight means something. If it's, a, a you know elite special forces soldiers game that plus four fight means something very different mm. if it's you know if it's street level superheroes it means something different than that and if it's like you know uh four color superheroes it means something very different than that that's all plus four to the pcs because all of four plus four really means is the best the starting pc can be mm. so there's a that's- lot of relativity Um, so if, if the superhero encounters, you know, Normie McNormerson, you know, like they, do you just give negatives to Normie if there's any sort of conflict or you just say you can't like it's impossible? Um, 
like that normie can't hit him or yeah like normie just can't do anything and and gets knocked out in one hit you know or do we just say because like it totally makes sense in that if we're doing dealing between superheroes and supervillains but what do we do when the uh scale is is vast yeah and so i think that depends like on how vast the scale is. So is the weakest, is the worst superhero fighter bet, you know, that much better than uh, if you're saying Normie McNormison, how, how weak is the worst superhero fighter? It actually punchy, 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 you know, and I don't know the answer to that if you're like dealing with like DC level, it probably doesn't matter. Normie can't do anything to anybody by himself. Right. And we he just might accept that. Like he might no, just, yeah. It, if he doesn't have kryptonite, Lex or super suit Lex Luthor punches Superman. He breaks his own hand basically. Well, right? soups is a special case, right? Cause soups is soups and he has explicit power level immunity to getting punched. Um, <laughs> you know, well, but let's, like, let's say he's the Max Fleischer Superman and all he can do is jump far and glide. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He, he's, he's, he's reverse John Carter. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I swear to I swear to God, Superman started out as reverse John Carter. Look at John Carter of Mars. Look at yeah. Superman. No, They're the exact really same true. thing, except wow. with an inverted. That's amazing. Yeah. It's exactly I, the same. I have a lot of those Max Fleischer cartoons on DVD, by the way. Um, some of those episodes have not aged well. <laughs> yeah. But they're really, well, really I mean, well animated. Like- <laughs> 80 years of animation in between. Yeah, absolutely. It just, it, <laughs> you know, it was uh, world war two era, you know, anyway. Yeah. No, I think that, <laughs> Different time. you know, I've run this before in games. Like we had a game where we had like a, a juvenile Kaiju. I was combining Kaiju with Pokemon and magic and uh, Meiji Ascension. It was kind of a cool game. Unfortunately I had to move. And um, like at one point, some soldiers fired on a Kaiju and nothing happened. There was no roll. It was like, okay, they fire at the kaiju. Bullets go plank. Okay, <laughs> I didn't even touch the dice. Right? You don't. If it if it narratively can't happen, it just can't happen. Okay. You don't need to. You don't. And and that gets back to fiction first, right? Like you start by saying, okay, what's happening? Is there any doubt about what happens? Do I need to involve the mechanics? You know, if a five year old punches Superman straight in the ass. We know what happens, which is a big old nothing. We don't need to roll for that. We only roll, pick up the dice when there is a question of what happens. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And what's interesting that that uh, just as a really quick example from a previous episode, uh, Adam, when you had Sam, when we were trying to do the tracking, I think this was in last episode. Um, Sam, you wanted to have him basically turn himself into blood and jump into Rex's like a water bottle. And Rob was just like, yeah, you do that. Okay. You know, (laughs) that makes sense. Like, all right, moving on. Yeah. No, I, and and I like that. And that's actually a thing worth calling out this idea of in in fate, the fake community, we usually call it narrative permission, which is a fan, a bunch of fancy words for does it make any damn sense at all? Um, So like a a good example that might be how it might be compared to D and D in like D and D. If there's a, if there's a steep cliff or made obsidian, we stack modifiers on it until people can't meet the modifiers. 
and then equipment gives positive modifiers so they can make the mod so they can hit the dc right yeah. right and it, it's we don't say you can't do it we say you you can't roll that high and we're going to change your your modifiers so you can in fate we're more likely to say it's an obsidian wall you can't climb that without without the right gear you just can't i'm not even going to bother with the dice the rolling there's no number you need some way that it makes logical sense to the table that you can climb that obsidian wall. Which is kind of nice you, because players that way can't break immersion through luck. Right. You know, they well, can't not, essentially ruin not, a scene. Well, not only that, and, and I agree with that for sure, but not only that, but they can't break immersion through, I've got these other benefits that don't actually make sense to overcome that block. But now I've got enough of these other bonuses that I can overcome that block. That block. You know, I've got things that make me better at climbing regular, you know, cliffs or, or, or steep terrain. You know, and plus one and plus two and plus three, and together they're all enough that I can climb an obsidian wall, even though it's still an obsidian wall. And just the fact that I've got slightly grippier shoes probably shouldn't matter. Mm. It's also kind of cool. And we talked about this with like the the not needing to fudge, um, because you're kind of as a group saying, hey, these are the likely outcomes or the possible outcomes of this action, it always makes sense to somebody. The system never gives you a bad or an immersion-breaking or insane result because, frankly, the system never gives you a result. Mm. Right, right. It puts constraints on the results you're allowed to give is a better way of putting it, right? It says, okay, you have to have something that looks generally like a success. Okay, you can't actually achieve what you want and probably something bad should happen to. Okay, you can decide what that is, but we're never going to have an unacceptable outcome because the system never gives us that outcome. It sticks nicely to to applicable generalities. Yeah. I I, I just said I like to think of it as constraints. This is your 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 result, your narration of your result has to meet the following constraints. Oh, is a stress hit? Okay, they ca- they have to basically be a little closer to losing, but nothing bad enough to them can happen that they're out of the scene and nothing bad enough to, that can happen to them that it won't be better by the beginning of the next scene. Those are your constraints. Within those constraints, you can decide what happens. I think uh I think one good example of this is um conceding and and mm-hmm. what what the book says about like if you concede you do get certain benefits like you get a fate point mm-hmm. and you get an additional fate mm-hmm. point fate point for any consequences you took during the scenario but it also says right. um like one of the one of the biggest parts of it is that you get to decide kind of how your character leaves the scene but it right. makes the stipulation that whatever way you decide your character leaves the scene, it can't rob the uh, the opponent of their kind of victory moment or the fact that they are now kind of on top. You can't have your mm. character leave the scene in a way that like, steals their thunder takes the wind out of their sails or something like that you still have to be on the downside of whatever is going on and they still need to be on the upside 
Yeah, and that specifically refers to stakes, which is why it's important to understand the stakes of your conflicts before you start them, because that really starts to play into into concessions. Mm. Like, you know, Indiana Jones trying to get the, uh, <coughs> or the Nazis trying to get the amulet from Indiana Jones, you know, in that opening scene, those are the stakes. And it's great because it's not, we want to kill Indiana Jones. I mean, I'm sure they would if they could, but that's not the primary goal. The primary goal is to get the amulet. Mm. Of course, Indy would like to kill Nazis because, you know, hey, Nazis. Right. Um, but that his primary goal is to keep them from getting the amulet. So now when he, if he concedes out, he doesn't get killed, but he doesn't get the amulet. Right. They get the amulet. They get their victory. They win the stakes. Right. But that's a very good example of how fate, in a lot of cases, place co- places constraints on the results rather than actually dictating the results. That's cool. And, you know, like a, g- a great example of that is like, well, you know, I get I get shot by a bullet and, you know, I get hit. And then, you know, that bullet wound goes away at the next scene because stress goes away at the end of the scene. And, I, you know, this is where I go, you know, 80s tape rewind noise. And it's like, no, 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 slow down. Here's the constraints. They got something, some kind of success. So they did something that, you know, knocked you back or something or made you closer, you know, in kind of a narrative pacing way to losing. However, whatever they did to you is going to go away at the next scene. Since bullet holes don't go away at the end of the next scene or beginning of the next scene, clearly you were not hit by a bullet. Mm. So you might have had to get dropped back. You might have, you know, been winged with some incredibly minor grays. You might have, you know, gotten some bullet spray in your face. There's 18 different things that could have happened, but taking a bullet to the chest isn't one of them. Because that just makes sense. Because that just makes sense. Sweet. Back to you, Adam. <laughs> okay. Um, I like to leave a little bit of an opening in case someone wants to jump in. Um, I did have a question as to... Is there a mechanical difference in fate between an arc and a major milestone? Um, milestones happen at the end of arcs. Okay. So when I complete a book, as you had put it, right? Right. Then I have also completed a milestone. Right. So they, they're, they're pretty much hand in hand. So um, as far as I understand, or to use anime as an example, there's always the tournament arc in Shonen anime, right? Right. We, we always got to have one. So once the the um, tournament ends, that's a major milestone. And we have our biggest version of player advancement. Probably significant in a scenario, um, but, but, but whatever, sure. There's, there's some kind of arc. You know, again, arc is going to be more like a book or almost like a, a season in a, in a TV show mm-hmm. versus versus a couple episodes. So if you're really having a whole season based on a tournament, I mean, I don't watch enough anime to know, but if that's valid, then that's fine. But at that point, I'm, I'm, I'm picking nits here. But yes, fundamentally, it's the case. The point is the milestone is kind of the, the, the thing that you do where you make these changes to your character. Mm-hmm. The arc is the the story up to that point. It's it's resolving that significant story problem or question. You you resolve the story question. Now you do the milestone, which is where you apply the mechanical changes. So the last Does that make any? 
I mean, yeah. Can I make an analogy? Can I make an analogy? Please, please. Like if you want to go to a restaurant a hundred miles away because they've got a really good hamburger, the arc is the drive. <laughs> okay. Eating the meal is the milestone. Uh, that's oh, okay. a good analogy. I mean, it falls a little bit because the advancement isn't actually the point, but still in terms of like timing and sequence, they're kind of related, but the one, the one is the thing that happens to cap off the other. Mm. Oh my God. I just had an idea for a movie where <laughs> this guy, it, it's got, it's, it's like someone like Bill Murray, who's always doing like existentialist stuff, you know, yeah. and it, it is a disaster film, but his entire goal is to go to his favorite burger place and the the journey from his home to the place his car is actually fraught with all kinds of obstacles isn't that isn't that harold and kumar go to white harold castle and kumar. <laughs> I, i've actually not seen that i think I've that's exactly it, so. what it is like they're super high they want white castle they don't get white castle till the end of the movie they want white castle at the beginning of the movie stuff happens in the middle of the movie <laughs> that's yes, and that's your and that's your story question. Will they get White Will Castle? Will they get White Castle? <laughs> Want to understand fate? Go to Harold and Kumar. <laughs> Who has thought of them recently? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> oh man! Well, I mean, honestly, I any of out. these concepts, and that's what we kind of laughed around earlier. You know it really apply to, to movies and books and TV shows. And you can start saying, okay, cool. I see how that maps. This, that's kind of like this. And it, it just really maps so well structurally. So it's unsurprising that you heard that and you're like, Hey, that's a movie. Yeah, I guess, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's cool. Um, Cause it really is almost mechanized versions of writing advice. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I think that that's where I've had some serious questions because I keep going, Am, am I checking all the boxes? Am I prepared? Right. And it's like, well, here's some story advice. It's like, well, yeah, I get that. I, I know a lot of that stuff, yeah, but, <laughs> but like, where's, where's the numbers? And you're like, well, that, that's no. <laughs> like, well, <laughs> the numbers know. are important, but I think they're, so the, the two things is the numbers are really um, forgiving. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because the worst thing that's going to, you're either going to get it right or you're not. And if yeah. you get it wrong, it's either going to be too hard or too easy. If you get it wrong, it's too easy. No big deal. You go, wow, that was really trivial. My player smushed through that. I need to make things harder. Mm-hmm. If it's too hard, player's going to go, ah, oh, that was terrible. I concede or I lose the scene and the scene goes on and you're already ready, re- ready for them to lose the scene anyway. So you don't actually care. And you're like, okay, the game goes on. Um, you know, when you, the game is predicated that any scene should be both succeedable and failable, then getting it wrong doesn't matter that much. Mm. Wow, okay? that's very also low pressure, kind of. It really is. It takes a lot of the pressure off. You can't TPK, and if they lose, you don't care because you were ready for them to lose anyway. Wait, and wait. This- low pressure? <laughs> so, Andrew. <laughs> no, I'm, You're, I'm okay, just saying, history. like, there's theoretically <laughs> speaking, <laughs> you know. This is where we just sort of sit back and let and and let them, you know, do their bromance thing. <laughs> I shouldn't have opened I'm my big saying, fat mouth. <laughs> this is how we get Andrew to run a game. If you can convince oh. him that there's no or at least less, let's say, pressure involved. I think that well, that's key. There really isn't. It's very it's very forgiving in that way. God, I um, hate when I'm right. 
and the <laughs> and the sweet spot, <laughs> and it's cool because the sweet spot is really for again the kind of meaty consequential scene. Occasionally, you're going to have the throwaways where you're just showing off how awesome the players are, and that's that's great. Is it costs them some resources to succeed? Yeah. Well, that can be not many resources, or it could be a ton of resources, and you're still in that golden zone. So the golden zone is huge, and the cost of being outside of the golden zone doesn't really matter. So it's not that big of a deal. It's not like D&D or a lot of these other games where it's like, I'm going to give you this curated encounter, and if I do it right, you're going to be in the knife's edge the entire time, and you're like going to barely succeed, and it's going to be super tense. You don't have to hit that narrow of a target, and it's really kind of cool that way. Um, we did want to talk about like how to balance encounters or conflicts, I think, a little yeah. bit. Is, do we still want to talk about that? Yes, actually, that's a really good point. So, and again, I'm going to kind of go back to square zero on this one. And we talked about story questions. And the reason we run a scene is to answer a story question. And the reason we run a conflict is to figure out, you know, hey, is to answer that as well. Um, And the answer to that is going to be mostly predicated on, am I really, I mean, your tactics and what you do in the scene does matter. But a lot of it is, am I willing to spend the required resources? So the goal when we balance it is to set the difficulty such that you have to spend some resources to succeed. And again, as we said, that's a pretty wide thing. So I usually start at a mirror match. I want to set opposition roughly equivalent to what I think the skills are going to be for a a typical, you know, especially a conflict, a a consequential conflict. Um, Because that's a 50-50 by definition. GM gets three fake points, so that kind of sets a stake, an anti-level. So we now we know if you're not willing to spend, you know, three plus fake points to win, you're going to lose. If you are, you'll probably win. And that goes from there. Every NPC I drop, I, I give the I give one NPC an additional point, and there as I bump their their skill pyramid up a notch. So you know, if there's three of you against three NPCs, it's they're going to have plus four as their peak skill. If it's against two NPCs, one of them's going to have a five. If it's against one, he's going to have a six. Mm. Uh, and then we're going to go, you know, six, five, four, down, down. And, you know, as you're building these guys out, you can increase their stress as well to compensate and just kind of see how it goes and how your players are doing and going from there. Um, and that gets into, like, are you doing it right overall on, like, a session basis? That gets into what I call the Star Wars rule. Have I given you guys that? Not no. ringing a bell. Okay, so I have the Star Wars rule of overall difficulty and scenes, and it's pretty simple. So a well-run fake game that is you're hitting the targets more or less correct should look like one of three things. One, you started with your refresh. At the end of the game, You know whether you want to do it at the session level or a scenario level, whichever, you have exhausted your fake points, You've made some good progress and in, in solved the problem. You've probably had some setbacks and maybe some long-term complications. That's a new. Oh, hope. this is this okay, is yeah, this is ringing yeah, a bell have, now. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, okay. But well, but I'll, I'll just shut up. No, 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 no. Please, please complete. <laughs> please continue. Okay. For the people that didn't listen to that one, the second <laughs> scenario is you end up conceding a lot, getting your butt kicked left and right getting all kinds of additional complications and setbacks, and you end the session on a ton of fate points. That's the Empire Strikes Back. The third one is you start the session with a ton of fate points. 
You go against perhaps overwhelming opposition. However, you overwhelm it right back through, you know, dumb luck or um, coincidence or just playing out skill. I mean, you have Ewoks taking out stormtroopers and you burn through all of your fate points and you manage to make significant uh, success at almost no cost. And that's Return of the Jedi. As long as you look like one of those three things, you are in the golden zone. Mm. For, for fate, like a fate session as a whole. If the failure modes are you get a lot of success and don't spend fate points, that is you need to crank, you need to crank things down a little bit. You need to make things a little tougher. Uh, you're probably a little too low. And it's not because there's some you know golden ideal. It's just because if people are succeeding without losing and they're, they're not having to spend resources and make those decisions, you're kind of taking some of the fun away from mm. them, right? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of, it's a lot of that is, mm, do I want to spend this fate point here? Or do I really care if, if the Nazis get the medallion, I get it back again. Um, okay. Well, I'll, I'll let them go ahead and get away with it. Cause I'd rather have the fate points here. You know, that's, that's kind of the decision you want people to think about. Um, the other failure mode is it's just too hard. And you can see that when they hoard, I mean, if they're just conceding out of everything, cause they don't think they can, um, but you see them blowing through lots of fate points and not getting any anywhere. Mm. That one, you don't see a lot in fate. Everybody wants to run fate too low because they forget the value of fate points and they forget the cr- value of create advantage. And so they make difficulties kind of under the more common RPG assumption that this should be low enough that the players succeed most of the time. Mm. So that's really, and it's going to depend on your characters and how well they're playing and their stunts and their and how they built their characters and everything else. So it's really hard to give super great advantage uh, advice on that. I do absolutely recommend the Adversary Toolkit. It's a great book. Um, but in terms of overall difficulties, as I said, Mirror Match is a default. It gets fuzzy after that. You know, every NPC you want. Every, every C you remove, someone gets bumped up one. Every one you add, someone gets dropped down one. Um, or actually, two of them would get dropped down one. So, it kind of mirrors each other. Um, and that's for a default mirror match. If you want it easier, harder, adjust it up or down. And the the adversary toolkit for anybody listening um, is another uh, fate book that you can... Man, I hope up. someone's listening. I sure hope so. <laughs> Hey, I listened like 300 times to the first episode alone. You, you showed me the numbers, and I was very glad yeah. to contribute. <laughs> See? There we go. Um, okay, so the the only thing I think we haven't really talked about very much that I'm looking at in the, um, the breakdown here is mm-hmm. world advancement. Now, I, I would assume what that is is just the sort of natural cause and effect of the world around us. Is there anything more to it than that? No, it's really just, just taking a look at your NPCs and what has happened and the consequences of the PC's actions. I usually just do it at the end of a session, right? You know, between sessions. Um, Hey, does this still make sense? You know, is, is someone, should someone's agenda advance? Does a front advance? Um, all these different things. So I need to start wiggling stuff around it. It's just, you're ticking the clock in the game world. That's yeah. really all there is. You know, the book goes into some kind of other things and, and specifics, but you know, it, it really does boil down to that's just general, how to run a sandboxy plot oriented NPC oriented 
or, or character-oriented sandbox uh, effectively. There's nothing really significant about fate in there. Mm. I'm feeling pretty confident. I think Yay. that the... I think I need a review using fate points, but other than that, um, I'm feeling like I know what I need to do to prepare before Thursday. Cool. When I run my next game. Well, please feel free to reach out to me if there's anything I can help you with. I'm always more than happy to do so. Tiana, do you have any questions um, before we um, start wrapping things up? I don't think so. I'm still just absorbing everything. I'm definitely going to be, now that I have a better grasp of how things work, I'm probably going to start from the beginning of faith school and just like listen back <laughs> and be like, okay, now I have context for more yeah. of this and now it makes more sense. Yes, indeed. I, I was thinking of the same Me thing. Me too. Um, Andrew, questions? Um, I don't think so. I mean, this learning how to run any kind of RPG, like it's, you know, it, it can be daunting. And I think, mm-hmm. I think with fate, you know, with something like D and D, you, you run into this idea that, Oh my God, there's just so much, there's so much yeah. stuff all over the place. There's a bunch of everything where with fate, it's almost the exact opposite. Um, yeah. And it's kind of trying to wrap your head around, okay, how, what do I use as my, um, you know, as my, as not my milestones, but my kind of guiding principles and uh, touchstones that you can use to, to kind of, um, you know, gauge where you're at. And if you're, if you're getting the results you're looking for and, um, and you know, just ways to be able to ascertain whether you are getting what you want out of running the system. Um, and I, I think that with what we talked about today combined with, um, what's in the books for, kind of how to run your session zero and, you know, Mm -hmm. remembering that fate is at its heart about really about collaborative storytelling that even as a GM, it's not about coming up with your own story and presenting it to the players. It's coming up with a foundational baseline situation for the world coming up with some key players and um you know and important things that are presently going on when once the game starts and then from then on it's all like you said adam it's all cause and effect it's all the players are doing this, so I'm doing that, and the players are doing this, and I'm doing that. And you just kind of feed off each other once that baseline is established in session zero. Yeah, that's that really tracks. And uh, I, I think it's funny because like when I learned the fate and I went through the, the process that created the Book of Hans, um, 
you know, the mechanics of the system were bone simple. I had that figured out within like two days, but then running and I kept going to, well, this should be, wait, that doesn't make sense. And like trying to retrain myself as to what these things meant, you know, a lot of the difficulty in fate isn't what the mechanics are that straightforward. It's how to apply them in a way that makes sense. Right. And, you know, and I think like the biggest sticking pit trick is aspects and having a good model and understanding of what aspects are. And I think that's the hardest thing because if you try to use them for something they're not, you start end up getting in really weird, illogical situations. Um, you know, usually there's just a better solution than using an aspect. People try to overuse aspects. Mm. Um, but I, I think that's absolutely true. And that's why I go into a lot of the philosophy and cause a lot of it builds into each other, right? Like, well, why do we have a, a conflict? That's kind of a super abstract kind of crazy question. Just have the conflict. I just want to know how to run the conflict and how to balance it. Well, you know, why we have fate points is why we balance conflicts a certain way. So you mm. kind of have to really understand what we're trying to accomplish with balance because it's a little different than D&D before I can tell you how to balance things. And if, you, if you're trying to balance it the way you'd use balance D&D for the same reasons you'd balance D&D, you're going to trip on mm. yourself. You're not going to, it's not going to be satisfying uh, in, in my experience anyway. And so that's kind of why I've leaned towards that kind of why rather than the, the mechanical how as much. I love that. I think that's, I think it's really fascinating. I mean, it, it just goes to highlight how, you know, how different, you know, two tabletop RPGs can be. You know, like, yeah, it can't, you really can. Both of them are situations where you and your pals are sitting down at your table to play a storytelling game together. But they, the approach that both of them take are so vastly different. And the results you get from them are also going to be different. Like, what you feel you get out of a D and D game, what you would expect to get out of a D and D game and the feeling you get and all that stuff is going to be different from what you get from a fate game. Like it really is like pretty apples and oranges in a lot of ways. Um, and I think it, it's so it really cool is. That, that, that that's a thing. Yeah. That's mm. awesome. I mean, I think that's the best part about it. And I, as I said from day one on this, I'm not saying Fate's better than D&D. &D. I, I would never say no, that. D&D &D no is a way. great game. Even the different versions of D&D &D are great games, mm -hmm. you know, and for, but they're great for different right. things and different goals. And it's like, mm -hmm. hey, what tool do I need? Right. Um, and I think that's really the cool thing. One of the things I've always liked is that even within a given game, okay, even if you're playing literally the same game, is people say... I'm playing D&D &D and they think it me or I'm playing a role playing game and they think it's like I'm playing chess where there's this common definition that maybe there's variants like speed chess but chess is chess right? right right and it's not role playing games are not like I'm playing chess it's like I'm doing sports right right it's that wide and there's these activities within it that are only tangentially related to right. each other that I'm playing sports that that's a terrific way to put it i never i never thought of it that way let me um let me jump in here really yeah. quick i think that what we want to cover next time 
mm-hmm. is going to have a lot to do with extras. And I know you groaned at that. Uh. <laughs> there it is. Um, I, I talked a lot this episode about uh, the story that I have cooking in my brain and mm-hmm. how we can apply it. What I would be really interested in is to have Andrew and Tiana, because I'm sure you guys were were dreaming up something during all of this. And I would love to have you bring something that we can assault Rob with in terms of extras um, and how to adapt this game for various settings and um, genres. Yeah, we'll see. I'll see what I can. I'll see what I can come up with. <laughs> really, you guys didn't think of anything Dude, during the, I, the game. I was, huh? See this now. I understand much more why you don't listen to audiobooks because I was just listening to Rob the whole time, and I was not. My brain wasn't wandering a bit. I was just like, "Yeah, that's talk, true. Yeah. Say more words to me." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how like I have to interface with learning. And I think that's how a lot of students do it, right? They have to do something yeah, uh, in order to learn. And so to me, answering those questions through the lens of that scenario, I found tremendously helpful. Mm. So um, I, I, th- I think I would rather approach that and, you know, feel free to tell me you'd rather do things differently is, Here's a situation in a game. What tools would you apply and how would you apply Ooh. them? Where extras are one option rather than in a presumption. I like that. And what I will do is I can, in a lot of cases, give, um, you know, there's a great thread on Reddit about um, how to handle a force field power that was partially uncontrolled. And I end up with like, here's about four different suggestions. Depending on what that means in your game, how you want it to work, the character, blah, 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 blah. Here's eight ways you can cover it. Um, And that, I think, is really interesting versus let's presume extras because I think extras, there's a reason they dropped them from Fate Condensed. I mean, that's the short. Oh, I didn't even realize that they just got dropped entirely. That's that's very interesting. They're not as necessary as a lot of people think they are. A lot of people when they're hitting Fate try to go to them very, very quickly to do things. That would be anything like a power or anything else. And I mean, I kind of have the same feeling like I do in aspects where they're interesting and they're useful, but I think people over apply Mm. them just out of novelty or out of presumption that I need, you know, uh, some, some mechanical big thing to represent my superpower when maybe you don't. Um, So I think that's, I, I, I'm definitely down for kind of a, hey, and then we can get into things like weapon ratings and armor yes. ratings and how to handle equipment, uh, different ways of handling magic, because there's all kinds of, of interesting things about yeah. that. There's you know a bazillion ways to handle magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that would be a really interesting conversation just to kind of, hey, here's some things that it's not immediately obvious to me how to deal deal with. Without a presumption that it's an extra or not an extra, what are some of the ways that we could do this and why yeah. would we? You know, we'll just talk about things like, you know, how can we deal with things like magic, superpowers, weapons, armor, you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of Does that stuff. sound good to you, Adam? Uh, sure. I, I mean, know you're. Yeah. I mean, I think in a, in a lot of ways it's kind of similar. I'm kind of imagining yeah. the three of us bringing a different game for you to play. And then to have yeah. you sort of coach us through the GM process. And I think that would be really cool, actually. Yeah. So 
you know, maybe we can do some prep in between where we're messaging you with our ideas so you can have a character that's like appropriate or something or just have some thoughts ready to go. I might actually break that up a little bit um, and just throw out ideas. Um, What might be cool is to actually break out those ideas, like have you folks do some jamming and I can kind of coach along with you. And then we can have the separate discussion on these kind of advanced modeling ideas and how to handle things. Hmm. Because I think trying to do that as your first GMing might be a bit of a steep climb. Okay. Okay. But I mean, I'm open to ideas. Yeah, I think uh, we'll we'll prep more in between between ourselves. Yeah. And sounds and good. At, at the very least, I don't want to put too much pressure on Andrew and Tiana. At the very least, I want to have some direct coaching. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, so. and I I also and I definitely wanted to. And I definitely do want to, in the very near future, do that kind of advanced modeling talk if, you know, with however much it is focused, you know, when, when do you use weapon ratings, things like that, I think is a really interesting uh, kind of conversation. Um, I, I also think like just uh, my own opinion that um, like if we all were to each bring an idea to the table and then, you know, we're each going through our own uh, th- I mean, like, I could see that turning into like a freaking six hour show. Um, yeah, that 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 could be a very long episode. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm the forever GM. I got. <laughs> I'll just get some of my extra Colombian marching powder. <laughs> oh Alrighty. No, no, no. You're 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 the member of the quartet with, with the strongest opinion on things, which means that uh, we That's go with right. yours. There we go. There we go. Okay. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode, everyone. Um, Rob and Tiana, uh, thank you again for joining us. Um, I know this series uh, is this series is very special and unique. And I have been, uh, for my part, really enjoying this. Um, And I I feel like the uh, the community has really been um, getting uh, getting a lot out of it too. I've been watching the numbers mm-hmm. and uh, the reaction has been extremely positive. And I think that that's uh, due in no small part to um, you guys and your, your involvement. Um, so you definitely have our gratitude for this. And I know uh, I am definitely looking forward to more. This has been really, really great. Absolutely. I really enjoy hanging with y'all. Y'all are seriously lovely people. And just seeing some of the reactions that we're getting out there in the wild is awesome, too. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's been a lot of fun learning how to play this game yeah, with y'all. It's been it's been really cool. And Adam, you you know, you know, I love you, man. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> I mean, you you send me dice. What else do I need? That's that's how he keeps me coming back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm not even sure I ha- I don't even know if I have that set. Oh, <laughs> Send me dice yeah. and tell me I'm pretty. That's yeah. right. All right. That's right. All right. Well, that makes uh, gifting easy for everybody's birthday. Boom. Um, so since I got you ice ones, I wonder if there's fire ones. I'll send those to Tiana. Ooh, now now Ooh, I want uh, fire ones too. Maybe it's just I, because I, I, of I, your uh, artificer, but I, I I always associate you with fire in my brain. 
That's very fair because my very first streaming character was a light cleric, and I had I knew I wanted to play a cleric, and I was flipping through the domains because I didn't really know much about it at the right, time. Yeah, and I stopped when it, when I saw fireball right. in the domain spells for light cleric. It went oh, that one. Hello. That's what I'm doing. The, the rest of the features don't even matter. <laughs> they really didn't. I was just like, I can set things on fire with my brain. With my cool. brain, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the the original Beatle lyrics. All you need is fireball. Um, <laughs> all right, we're gonna drag this thing out. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> one, one last thing, I just want to say, like uh, while we were recording, we got a new patron. We did. Um, oh, sweet. So, uh, welcome to uh, Ty Monger. Ah, Ty Monger. Woo-woo. Okay. Sweet. Thanks. Thanks, thanks for hey, for Yay. joining. Welcome. He is active on the yes. Fate Reddit and yep. Discord. Oh, sweet. Ah, very cool. There you go. Well, welcome to the so family. You have some Ty. celebrity status. Yeah. Right on. Um, well, fantastic. All right. Take us home, right. Andrew. All right, everybody. Take us home. Um, thank you again for listening. If you'd like to support the show at all, just like Mr. Timonger did, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash inspiration point and check out the different different tiers. See what strikes your fancy. Uh, all of them come with access to our private but lovely Discord channel where we all are chatting away merrily day by day. Um, and if you haven't listened to the previous Fate School episodes, definitely go back and do that. Or if you have, go back and review because I know we need to. Um, so mm-hmm. do that, educate yourself, and let's all level up together. And until next time, stay inspired. Bye. 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 Bye.